I have a, a lot of scripture references today, and probably what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll go through it quickly, and uh, if you want to write down the reference, that's fine, but since I'm recording, you know, if I, if I pause for everybody to turn there, there's great big long pauses, you know, it's just, when's this guy going to get around it? You know. <laughs> You know, they say your mind can comprehend, even if you could speed your voice up to talk very fast, your mind can comprehend that a lot quicker than you can speak. So you want to try to, but, but maybe I can start, a, if you need scripture references, I can probably print you out one. I probably should have done that, but uh, there's right many scriptures, so I'm just, I'm just going to go through it fairly quick to eliminate, you know, the long pause in the recording. I want to talk today about salvation. And the comparison that I'm going to be making today is that you have the world of churchianity, the world of religion. You have their view of salvation. And then you have our view, the church of God's view of salvation. And I believe the two views are quite different, as I'll discuss today. The two, view, two views are quite different. Different. That is the subject of salvation. Just what is salvation? What goes on concerning salvation? What is it about you that God is trying to say? What does he expect from you? What's the end result of salvation? Two totally different views here. Just totally different views. Uh, for the, I think for the most part, most people's view of salvation is a key word. It is eternal life. Now, we all want that. You know, you get old and you get, you know, your body falls apart. Everybody wants eternal life. I understand that. But that's not God's ultimate agenda with offering us salvation. Just the fact that we can live forever. Now, it really hit home with me. I was watching a movie, just, just the beginning part of it. It was, it was a woman. She, she was crossing the road. She gets hit by a vehicle. And she, she's dying. And she calls for a, cat, a priest to come say some words over her. And the Catholic priest comes over and he saves her soul, I guess. And it's, it sort of struck me that that is the view that a lot of people have. That it's, it's the sinner's prayer. You've heard of that. You know, the sinner's prayer. If, if I can just get some preacher or some godly man that before I kick the bucket to say a sinner's prayer over me, I, I can be saved. And I've often wondered, where, where in Jesus' ministry did it say, did Jesus say, live your life for yourself, and then when you're old and ugly and your body's falling apart, you know, uh, go, go get, you, get yourself saved. Go get a minister to save you. Where is that at? Now, I know that people can say, well, the thief on the cross. Well, that's the exception. That's, that's the one exception that you have there. But you shouldn't, we shouldn't take the exception and say, this is the way it is. Right at the end of your life, you get yourself saved. No, that's, that's the extreme exception. That's not the norm, normal way it is. So when you think about it, okay, you're lying in a hospital. you got tubes running out of your body. The doctor looks at you with this you know, grim look on his face and says, you know, you, you've got a couple weeks to live. And so a minister comes by and says, how would you like to live forever? Who would say no? Who would say, no, I, I don't care for that? I can't think of anybody that, that, that would, you know, would you like me to lead you in this prayer so that you can live for all eternity? Who would say no? Well, I don't think anyone would say no. 
Well, there might be a few rebels that would, you know, you can think of some people that probably, well, I can too, actually. <laughs> no, I don't want that. <laughs> but it, it's almost like it's mere acceptance with really very little or no change whatsoever. In other words, that was something that was settled long ago. My parents used to drag me off to church, and I got baptized at age 11, and I really haven't thought about it since then. I'm 60 years old now, and I, I haven't thought about that, that issue since then. Now, here's the question. How do we get to be saints? Saints. I mean, that, that's, the word saint means physically pure, morally blameless, have you ever asked the question, how am I going, I mean, it's a troubling question. How will I get to be, in God's eyes, you know, a saint? Is there a process? Is there, or is it just some words? I mean, it doesn't mean anything. Now, when I was first baptized, I, I actually believe it was a good feeling to have the slate wiped clean, my sins forgiven. I remember what that felt like when I walked out of that, it was a motel where I was baptized at, and it was a great feeling, and I honestly believed that I would not sin again. I didn't want to sin again. Believe me, I thought this is the end of my sin life. And I don't know how long it was before I, I messed up again. And so it's been a struggle. It's, it's, there is victory. It's a process of victory. It's not the same issues that I struggled with, you know, 20 years ago. But there is progress along the way. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 13, it says this. 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 13, it says, To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. There's three words there. Unblameable, holiness, and saints. I mean, it, this, this is the work. This is what God is after. This is what God wants. And it's pretty powerful. So we understand what the pro, how the process begins. You can think back to the day that you were baptized. You had hands laid on you for the receiving of the Holy Spirit of God. It was your moment of conception. God's Spirit united with your spirit. And a new creature in Christ started to develop. Now, here's where I think we begin to differ about our view of salvation versus the world's view or Christian's view of salvation. At that moment of conception, you entered what we're going to call the salvation process room. The salvation process room. It is a room that you entered into. Now, I know people can argue, and, and I hear this argument all the time on YouTube and some of the, the videos that I post there's a lot of people out there that believe that you cannot lose your salvation. But I think people who make that argument don't even understand what salvation is. I think if they understood what salvation is, they would never say that statement. That you can't. Now, I agree, you can't lose something that you never had. You can't lose anything, something that you never had. Most Christians, now this is an opinionated opinion, but... <laughs> Most Christians don't have to worry about losing their salvation because they have never entered into the salvation process room. You can't lose something that you don't have. They've never entered that room, so there's nothing to worry about here. 
Now, what is the salvation process room? Well, let me first emphasize that it is just that. It is a process that's going on. People are, you know, sanctification, justification, you know, however you want to look at that. But it is a process. One of the troubling things about me when I was first baptized was that I thought when I was baptized that it would be a magical experience, like God would wave a magic wand over me and he would say, never sin again. <laughs> okay, right. And I would never sin again. And that's how I sort of viewed it. And it's, it's not like that. It, it's, it's not like this. Salvation is not, it, it's not magical. It is a process. The day of your baptize, uh, baptism, when you received the Spirit of God, was day one. In the next 20 or 30 years, until the day you die, you will be in the salvation process room. Now again, I think this is how, where we differ on the subject of salvation as far as the church and uh, mainstream. Now, when you think about, I want you to think about the conversion process of the disciples. You know, they were men, and, and I think they were, you know, one example, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive you the Spirit, and then later they actually did receive the Spirit of God. But they were under the influence of the Spirit of God, and, it, and under that influence, you know, they said things like, we'll die for you. We'll, we'll go, you know, I will never deny you, Jesus. And after being in the room, the salvation process room, for a lifetime, they all died for Jesus except John. Now think about the difference. That's a huge difference of, of on the surface, at the beginning, a superficial, you know, just a lip service religion. Oh, I'll, I'll go anywhere. I love you, Jesus. I'll, I'll die for you, Jesus. And that was, you know, they, we see how far they went. But then at the end of their life, they all gave their life for Jesus, except John. That's, that's powerful. That's, that's being in the room, the salvation process room. So the question, I'm, I'm, you know, the question we're asking today is not, are you religious? Are you posting religious stuff on Facebook? Uh, do you faithfully go to church? Uh, do you love Jesus? Do you wear a cross so people can look at that and say, oh, that's a Christian. Uh, do you re daily read your Bible? That's, that's not the question I'm asking. I'm asking this question. Have you accepted the fact that in order to be really saved, you must enter and endure the salvation process room until the day you die? That's what salvation, the, the kind of salvation I'm talking about. Okay, endure. Endure what? I mean, think about it. You know, in Matthew 24 and verse 13, it says, But he that, that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. What are we to endure? I mean, think about it. What did Jesus mean when he said, you know, the person that endures to the end, this person's going to be saved. Endure what? Endure the process. The salvation in the room. The salvation process room. Acts 14 and verse 22 says this. It says, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that, they, that we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. You know, Mike talked a little bit about, about some of the things that we go through. And that it's, it's, it can be tough now, but it's for a greater benefit. 
it's, it's, it has to do with the first resurrection, what you're going through now, you know. And, but I think about this, that we must through much tribulation enter, enter the kingdom of God. What is this tribulation? Well, it's, it's being in that process, the salvation process room. And, you know, you, you have, again, you have the fundamental concept. Well, I've been saved, sanctified, justified. Uh, and they never give it, give it a th second thought until the day they die. All that was settled long ago. When I gave my heart to the Lord. Whatever. Okay. It is, what I'm saying is that is this, it is a lifetime journey of transformation. How does God get what he wants from you? Do we think about that? You know, Ron Darty said, God has no intention of, expending, of spending eternity with a pack of losers. You know, why would God spend eternity? Why would God grant eternity to a pack of losers? Have you ever, done, have you ever looked at people? Now, hopefully, hopefully they're not in the church, although I think I've done it in the church too. Uh, <laughs> and said... You know, if that person's going to be there, I'm not sure I want to be there. <laughs> but, but, but what I'm dealing with is the issue, when does that transformation take place? At what point in a person's life does it really take place? You know, I, I, I've heard statistics like 50% of Christian men are addicted to some type of internet pornography. They admit that, 50%. All right? When does that change take place? When does it take place? Well, obviously, it takes place in that salvation process room, but it's going to take place, is what I'm saying. That somewhere between here and the time that we kick the bucket, that, that process is going to take place. Now, there's a lot of scriptures. Uh, I'm going to go through these quickly. Revelation 2 and verse 7. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You know, that word overcometh, uh, to him that overcometh, the, the word, it, it refers to the winners. To the winners. Not the losers. But to the winners. You know, you got winners, you got losers. Revelation 2 and verse 21, He that overcometh, cometh, the winners shall not be hurt of the second death. And, you know, the second death... The second death, there is no future resurrection. That is the end of you is what that's talking about, the second death. Revelation 3 and verse 5, He that overcometh, the same shall, not, shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Again, to the winner, this is what the winner is going to get. Revelation 21 and verse 7, He that overcometh shall, not in, shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Revelation 3 and verse 21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and I am set down with my Father in his throne. So Christ himself had to overcome. He had to be a winner. So God is not requiring something of us that he himself didn't go through. He had to go through it, and, and we do too. Now, Understand, the salvation process room is overseen and managed by the Father and the Son. All of it is indeed a work of grace. 
In fact, we're told in Ephesians 2 and verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now most preachers will stop right there, but there's another verse that goes along with it. For we are his workmanship, notice that, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Again, God has a workshop. He has tools. He is crafting something in that workshop. That workshop is the salvation process room where he works on all of us. It is overseen by the Father and the Son. It is a work of grace. Now, you know, I sometimes think that, that there may be preachers that don't want you to be aware of the room, the salvation process room. I think many people have been sold a counterfeit salvation as if we could bypass the room and still get the same benefits. Everybody wants the benefit of eternal life. But, you know, there's a, you know it's almost in religion, there's a way you can bypass. We don't talk about this, this room that can be sometimes painful, a struggle there. You know, again, God's agenda is it's not just about granting eternal life. It's, it's about what God is creating inside of us. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. Man, that's powerful. The Son of God became man to enable men to become sons of God. And we're, what are we, we're, in Genesis, we're told that God is creating human beings over into his own image and his likeness. How do we get there? How do we get there? Well, again, it is a process. Romans 12 and verse 2 says this, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God transformed by the renewing of our minds. You know, what is the work of the Spirit of God? Well, the work of the Spirit, it, it cleanses, it purifies, it makes new, it transforms to make it one with God. You know, that's something we sort of learn on atonement, to make it one with God. Uh, it also, the Spirit says, God says, I'm going to write my laws into their hearts and minds. All of this is a process Galatians 4 and verse 19 says, My little children, in whom I travail in birth again, until, until Christ be formed in you. Think about that. This is the work that's going on in the room. Until Christ be formed inside of you. Man, that's powerful. That's powerful. Uh, Again, I think, I think a lot of people have been sold a counterfeit salvation. Romans 8 and verse 29, it says, and this is another subject that people sort of struggle over. It says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Sometimes people look at that word predestinate and they think, oh, that's a free ticket, I got it made. Uh, 
Predestinate, someone explained it like this, it's like a, a train track from Virginia to California. Those tracks are predestined. That train is predestined to get there. But on that train, you know, when it stops in Texas to pick up more people that God is calling, you can raise, because you are a free moral agent, we, with the salvation process room, we cannot eliminate or negate the fact that we have freedom of choice. So as that train is moving on, you can raise your hand and say, I'm getting off this train. I, I'm fed up with it. I can't take it anymore. Enough. Because you're free. You're free. Oh, the train will get there. The, the tracks are predestined to get there. As long as you stay in the room. Romans 8 and verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, sometimes when I baptize a person, I've said that, you know, this person, of course, stands before you clean. And, you know, this person is destined to be in the kingdom. God will not keep this person. Satan can't keep this person out of the kingdom. There is one person that can keep you out of the kingdom. Do you know who that is? It's the man or woman in the mirror. It's when you walk away from and close the door to the salvation process room. Now, why would you do that? Why would anybody do that? You know, I, th I think, I thought about that. You know, Jesus did warn. He said, before you start, count the cost. Before you start down this journey, count the cost. You know, we have been sold at least mainstream, has been sold a bunch of lies when it comes to salvation. The lie is this. Salvation is the easiest thing you will ever do in your life. You know, it's, it's easier. It's so easy. It's, it's like sliding down a grease, you know, fireman's pole, you know. It's just it's the easiest thing you ever do. It's easier than getting a college education. It's easier than finding a husband or wife. It's easier than getting a job. It's the easiest thing you will ever do. That's what we have been sold. Um, and it's also, we've been, the idea is that we can choose the time that is convenient for you to be saved, that we can choose that. Not so sure about that. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16. I'm going to conclude here. I think this is probably the last verse. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16. But this verse explains... This verse explains the process. It says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Now, sometimes you think, okay, the outward man perishes. What's the benefit of that? Get old, you know, the golden years. People call it the golden years. Nothing golden about it. But your teeth or whatever, your teeth turn yellow. Uh, <laughs> but there is a benefit of getting old. It's what I call the dying will. You know, that will, will is, willpower is not a bad thing. It's just that when you're younger, it gets you into a lot of trouble. The will, <laughs> the desire, some of the lust of the flesh, some of the, maybe some of the addictions that we've gotten hold of, 
But as you get older, that, that's what I call the dying will. It, it, it dissipates. So that's a positive benefit of getting older. You get wiser. You get more knowledge there. And you think, okay, this is really stupid, that thing I used to pursue. <laughs> uh, so that's one benefit I can think. But, but notice what else it says. It says the, in, the inward man is renewed day by day. Now we're dealing with the subject of how do we become saints. You know, it's, it's just this, this salvation process room. I know often we think, well, I want others to be saved. You know, I want my family members. I want this person. I want that. I want the whole world to be saved. That's, that's the reason I do evangelistic work is because I'm trying to, you know, to some degree, bring people to a point of connectivity. But when you consider the process, when you consider the room, when you consider what we're, you know, when we say, okay, I, I want other, uh, these other people to, to be saved. There have been times in my life, and I hope God doesn't hold this against me, but what I'm about to say, but that I have thought, you know, I, I don't know if I would wish this calling upon just anyone. There's times I've thought about that. You know, um, why, why would I say that? Well, Hebrews 6 and verse 4 says this. It says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gifts and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the world to come. Notice, notice that. The power, I love that verse, of the world to come. Man, that's, that, I want that world that is coming. I want to be a part of that world. I want to help bring it about, that world. Okay, but people who have tasted of this, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they have crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh, afresh excuse me, and put him to an open shame. Here's the thing. Once you enter this room, once you have been called, once you have received the Spirit of God, the option of quitting, you don't have that option. There is no option of, I, I'm going to quit. You don't have that option. You know, and I don't think anyone in, in this room is a, is, you're not a quitter, are you? You're not a quitter. I, I thought about that. I told the story a long time ago about, about how the, I had this motorcycle and it had a flat tire. And I, I began to change the tire with a screwdriver and a pry bar. And, and I would patch the tube. And I'd put it back together. And, and I would pinch another hole in it because I was using the wrong tool to change, you know. And I'd, I'd take it back apart, and I'd, I'd pat, put another patch, and I'd put it back together, and, it, and I'd pinch another hole in the tube. Well, this went on for two weeks. Every evening, i come home from work. I would, I would, I, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to get that thing pumped up with no hole in it. And I finally did. After two weeks of taking it on and off, and I had eight patches on that tube. <laughs> it was nothing but a patch, you know, just a big patch all the way around. But I think, you know, I don't, I don't give up and quit very easily. In fact, I don't know if I ever do. I, just, to, just to give up and say, I quit. That's not what God is looking for. You know, at least people who are ignorant have the option of the second resurrection. You don't. You don't have that option. Today is the day of salvation for those whom God has called. And when I say today is the day of salvation, you know, if your attitude is, whoopee, today is the day of salvation, oh, great. You know, 
Maybe you don't understand the room that I'm explaining here. That there is a room, the salvation process room, that you, you, have, no, you have to endure that until the day you die. Now, some people would say, well, show me in the Bible, well, you know, this room that you keep talking about, the salvation. Where does it say that? This, this is the salvation process room. <laughs> you know, when I think about it, the only way you can understand that this room exists is if you're in it. If you're in it, you know it exists. If you're not in it, you'll wonder, what, what's he you'll go back to the fundamental what I call mainstream, and saying, well, you know, that was my, my, my parents drug me off to church and I was baptized and I, did the acts, I, you know, I gave my heart to the Lord and, and hadn't thought about it since. But I know I'm saved, sanctified and justified and I'm going to meet the Lord and that, you know, all that stuff. No, no, I'm talking about the salvation process room. <clears throat> the way you know it, it exists is by the fact that you're in it. You can't deny that. And eternal life, to me, when, it, when, when I talk about this room, the salvation process room, eternal life is a secondary benefit of being in the room. The real issue is what God is creating in that room. And we sort of have a religion where people just walk around and they think about salvation and they just say, you know, I just... You know, I just want to get my butt saved. That's all I'm concerned about. I just want, I just want eternal life. That's, that's the whole concept. It's just out. I mean, it, it's not even something you can really... People don't know what they're talking about. So, the room consists... Actually, the room was revealed right at the very beginning of Genesis. The salvation process room was, was right there in Genesis 1 and verse 26. And I'm going to stop right there. And God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. 